You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Kesky of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 47 of At One Time On Tour is brought to you by the band Chemical City Rebels. Enduring floods, high volumes, and the punishing southern Louisiana summer, Chemical City Rebels are here to stay, blending furious pace with mid-tempo drive and infectious vocal harmonies. They craft what they call stoner pop punk. Late in 2018, the band recorded their debut full-length, A New Plague. A New Plague will be released digitally on April 19th, 2019. For more information on the band, please check out facebook.com forward slash chemical city rebels, Instagram at chemical city reb, Twitter at chemical city reb, and chemical city rebels.bandcamp.com. Now, here it is their new single, Dissociate.
Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, this is Rob Perlman, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow, we'll do it, we'll do it all again. Hey guys and girls, what's going on? This is Chris Swinney, and uh, this is another episode of that one time on tour. But if you're tuning into this, you probably already knew that. Um, welcome everybody that's new. I know a lot of you guys come back week in and week out, but I know we have some new listeners. As we announced a couple days ago, that we are now a part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Could not be more excited to be working with Jabberjaw. There's so many great shows on the network that I've, I've been listening to for a long time and they were, you know, inspirations for me doing this show. I, I love Lead Singer Syndrome with Shane Told and uh, Pure Pleasure Podcast with Dewey Halpas. So shout out to Mike, David, Deanna, and everybody over at the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Thank you guys so much for taking a chance on me and uh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to we're going to take over the podcasting world together. So we're going to move right into uh, what's going on in TOTOT land. We have two new patrons. That is right. This week was a, was a banner week over at our Patreon. So I would like to say what's up and welcome to the family to Rodney from Florida and Glenn from Australia. Thank you guys so much for becoming patrons. I appreciate it. Your welcome packs are in the mail. Actually, I think I have to send them out tomorrow, but uh, you'll be getting them very soon. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Glenn, you might have to wait a while. Australia is kind of far off. But uh, thank you guys so much for becoming patrons. If you are interested in helping the show and getting more involved, just like Rodney and Glenn did, you need to go over to patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast and go ahead and, and you know become a patron. It's like $5 a month. You can really help the show out. And I'm going to be posting all kinds of cool exclusive stuff over there. So check it out and join the family. Now it's time for a new segment here on that one time on tour that I am calling check-ins from the road. Now, uh, a lot of my friends out there tour, as you know from this show, you know, a lot of the bands that sponsor the episodes go on tour and whatnot. So I wanted to start this new segment where people checked in from the road. So the first installment of this new segment is from my buddy Christopher Rowe, mastermind behind the Ataris, my old bandmate. He is starting a big tour, big solo acoustic tour of the UK and mainland Europe. He just got there. So 
without further ado, here he is, my buddy Christopher Rowe on tour. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Christopher Rowe from the Ataris. I'm here in Glasgow, Scotland on tour. Just kicked off uh, a solo acoustic tour last night uh, where I'm playing uh, a lot of songs from the Ataris acoustic. As you can hear, the train announcements in the background. I'm waiting on a train right now, but uh, just was checking in with that one time on tour podcast. Uh, my old buddy Chris, and uh, wanted to say hi to all you listeners out there. Let you know that I'm on tour over here. You can get the dates on the Atari's Facebook page uh, or the Atari's Instagram. And uh, yeah, tonight's York, England, and uh, got another uh, approximately a couple more weeks here in the UK, and then I go on to mainland Europe where I have shows in Germany, Switzerland, uh, Austria, and Italy. Uh, but yeah, hope to see some of you listeners out at the shows. Got lots of vinyl and uh, exclusive vinyl, like cool color variants and stuff at the shows. So uh, come grab some vinyl or a shirt or something, say hi. I sell the merch at the shows. Other than that, uh, hope you all out there are uh, having a great time listening to this podcast and uh, support my old buddy Chris. Uh, Thanks again, Chris, for uh, supporting the Ataris. Much love. Cheers. Thanks for the call in there, Chris. I really appreciate that. And if you guys are listening in those areas, if you are in the United Kingdom or mainland Europe, go on over to the Atari's Facebook page and check out the dates. See when Chris is going to be in your neck of the woods and make sure to go check him out. Don't miss his show. It's great. He plays all kinds of like rare and like, you know, old school stuff that you're never going to hear on an actual Atari's tour with a full band. So go check out Chris and tell him that that one time on tour sent you to the show. Let him know that you listened and that you went and checked him out. Okay, so this intro is getting long, so I'm going to wrap it up. Make sure to follow us on all the social medias at TOTOT Podcast. If you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, hit me up, Podcast at gmail.com. You can now listen and subscribe over at jabberjawmedia.com. And uh, there's also all kinds of links and cool stuff over at tototpodcast.com. Longest intro ever. So here we go. Uh, this week, I got to sit down with a really good buddy of mine, Rob Perlman. Rob used to be a professional poker player. He tour managed the Ataris and Yellow Card. He created the first ever website for Blink-182. He, he put out a, a, a really cool like video compilation when he was 16 years old and got all kinds of bands to be on it. Rob and I had a great time talking. We've done some traveling together over in Europe, and uh, it was just a lot of fun you know, reconnecting. I hadn't talked to Rob for a really long time, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I'm going to jump right into it right now. So here it is, my conversation with my good friend, Mr. Rob Perlman. And I'm on the line with my good friend, Mr. Rob Perlman. What's going on, Rob? How you doing, buddy? Good to hear from you. I'm doing great, man. I, I want to know where you're at in the world because I, I follow your travels and I'm sure that you are. We've talked a little bit about it. I know where you're at, but tell my listeners where you are right now. This is like a quick weekend vacation to Monterey, Mexico. So I'm here with a buddy of mine from New York. We decided to come check it out, eat some Mexican food and have some drinks and just kind of explore. So I've never been here before. It's pretty fun so far. Yeah, you were just uh, we were just talking before we got on here. You were in a an Uber. How's the Uber down there in Mexico? Oh, dude, it's like they basically pay you to take an Uber here. It's like we just took an Uber from the mall, like a ten minute ride. It was like two dollars or something ridiculous. <laughs> the Uber bad. from the airport was like ten bucks. It's crazy, man. Uber is like made traveling so much easier. 
You don't have to speak a language. You just press a button. Oh my God, it's the best. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, here at the beginning, I mean, we'll talk about all kinds of stuff today, but I always start out with finding out, you know, how people got into music. I know that you did tour managing and you, you put out like compilations and did all kinds of crazy stuff. What was it for you that kind of got you going into music? So there's like a two-parter for me. Um, I grew up watching Back to the Future. It's my all-time favorite movie. And the scene where he's like just shredding on guitar, I was like, oh my God, I'm like 10 years old. And I go, I want to do that. And I made my parents buy me a guitar. And unfortunately, I didn't, you know, vocalize what I really, what made me want to play guitar. So they bought me an acoustic and sent them an electric. <laughs> yeah. so I kind of, I kind of gave it up after a couple of years. It wasn't really for me. And I really feel like if they bought me an electric guitar, I would probably be a shredder right now. Um, but you know, they, they got me a guitar and that kind of got me started. And then, uh, I moved to LA when I was like 13 and was just like being, you know, a grumpy teenager. And I discovered K rock back when that was like breaking all the bands. And I discovered alternative music and just really like, I don't know, I was really drawn to the whole scene and I'm excited because by the way, I'm a huge fan of the show and I'm so excited because I feel like the part where you say around the music industry, that's finally for me. Usually you get all these, artists and i'm finally one that's like around the industry yeah so i'm I, super excited I, i've been changing kind of what i say lately because i you know 90 percent of the people are in bands but i also like to talk to i mean you've done a lot of cool things and i had my buddy isaac who's a comedian and i just i don't want to pigeonhole myself so i'm really excited right. to have you on the show and you're one of my good buddies so i'm excited to have you on yeah i mean we should almost tell the backstory of how we know each other before we get further because like it's kind of weird the way we met and hung out <laughs> yeah well let's hear your side of it and i'll interject when i need to so from here's what i remember and of course correct me if i'm wrong so you joined the ataris and i had already worked with the ataris which i'm sure we'll talk about yeah. and uh i met you at the first show that you guys played that one in vegas at the rio yeah at the, and at the we rio. Had this after party upstairs at yeah, we went to the Voodoo Lounge after, and we were like comp bottles, and we were just having a blast. I have some great pictures with Brian, and like it was just this crazy weird night. And then you and I just connected on Facebook or whatever. And I was traveling throughout Europe uh, on one of my many trips, and you messaged me and were like, "Hey, like, what are you doing in Europe?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm just you know going place to place. Why?" And you're like, "I think about coming out there. Is that cool?" And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> and you met up with me for like five or six days, just like with like four days notice, we barely knew each other. We hung out one night, you know, and then we like toured around like three cities in Europe from what I remember. And we had a blast. I, I, I remember. Yeah. Because like we hit it off pretty well that night we hung out in Vegas and then we were just friends on Facebook. And I think I remember, you know, you would comment on my stuff or I would like your stuff. We talked back and forth. We were like yeah, more digitally friends than anything else. And then I went through a pretty nasty divorce <laughs> and I had a bunch of money in the bank and my mom was like, you need to need to go do something. You need to do something. And I was on Facebook and you were posting about how great Europe was. And I'm like, fuck this dude. I'm just buying a ticket. Even if he doesn't want to hang out, I'll just hang out by myself. <laughs> so. That was the fucking the coolest thing ever, man. Like we basically didn't know each other and you're like, let's go hang out for a few days. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it, man. I mean, I was traveling solo, so I was happy to have, you know, a traveling buddy for a few days and, you know, that changed my trip. I mean, I'm sure you had a blast too. We were like, we were in, what was it, Prague and Vienna or was there another city? Prague, Vienna. And I, I seem to remember we did something in, did we go to Slovakia too? Uh, I don't think so, but maybe. Maybe I think somewhere in Prague Germany. I, I feel like there was a third city for like at least a day, but I don't remember exactly yeah. where it was at. Yep. I mean, I just remember my, my best memory of that trip, other than like, Going to that one bar in Prague, we found like a 24-hour bar. The nonstop. And, yeah, the nonstop. 
they're just sitting at this bar like four in the morning trying to speak in a check and English with Google Translate. That and the train ride, the overnight train ride was like that was the great. two memories that I have from that. And playing guitar at like some random dude's house in Vienna. Yeah, there's a there's a video on Facebook. I'll have to like post it in the show notes of us. I'm playing guitar and you're doing like an artsy shot through these beer bottles and we're doing like a Foo Fighters song. <laughs> that's rad. That was like so. That's just so random. And I love that story and like I'm we're forever friends based on that trip. Well, and I mean it was it was cool for me because you know I was going through some shit and I I hadn't been to Europe in a long time and and there was just like no agenda whatsoever. I just showed up and I remember my my bag got lost and they were, they had I didn't have anything to wear for like 2 days. <laughs> wow. Was that your first time going to Europe not working? That was the first time going to Europe where there wasn't a reason to be there and make money. Yeah, that was just yeah. like my first time where wow, I'm in a foreign country and I can just do whatever the hell I want. It was kind of cool. Damn. That, that, that trip is what got me with like the big travel bug. I traveled. I mean, I've done a couple tours uh, overseas, and that was the first time I went with no agenda. In fact, I didn't even have a plan of which cities. I remember you were like, where are you going? I'm like, well, I think I'm going to this city next, but I can, I'm flexible. And we figured the whole thing out. And that was my first time going to Prague. I've been there like four or five times since. And oh, Dude, man. Prague was, was so great. I just, I just remember like, okay, so you were there. I got I got off the airplane and there wasn't even like I was used to, you know, South America or Central America, like going through customs and they give you a bunch of shit. Like I got off the plane and I kept asking people like, where's customs? Where's immigration? They're like, no, <laughs> you, you did that in Amsterdam. And I was like, right. Oh, because the, the times I'd been to Europe in the past, wherever you went, you had to do it again. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. You were traveling a while ago then. Yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I don't think I've ever encountered that. Well, yeah, once I mean, it was, it, it was, it wasn't maybe as long as you think it was, but it was, it was kind of like I maybe over ground. I was used to traveling. So when you go into a new place, there's different, I mean, it just, it felt weird to me that I was, Oh, I'm just in right. Prague. I felt it's still a trip because when you get off the plane, there's still the booth that's there that used to be for checking. And like, as you exit the baggage claim and there's like an empty booth and as an American, the first time you're like, am I breaking the rules? Am I doing yeah. something wrong? And the booths are there empty and everybody just walks on. Well, my thing was I, I went outside and well, first off, they, I, they didn't have my luggage and they, they said, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll give it to you. What's the address? And I gave them the address and the addresses in Prague are very strange. Yeah. And so I find a cab guy and I show him that my phone that had the address and he just shakes his head, but he knows no English at all. So <laughs> we, we get down to the block that was Praha five or whatever it is. And I remember yeah. the, the guy keeps like shrugging, like he can't find it. He can't find it. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? And all of a sudden out the window, I see you just walking by and I'm like, Oh, that's my <laughs> friend. That's my friend. So I just, I like tap the guy and like, let me out, let me out. So I get, I, you know, I paid him, got out. And I just remember that that day we went and had some of the best food I've ever had in my life. We walked around. I mean, it was Prague is amazing. I remember going on the Charles bridge and there was like this string quartet that was playing master of puppets by Metallica. I'm like, dude, I could move here tomorrow. Prague is rad. I mean, that's the biggest problem is that I still don't speak any English. Yeah. We have an awesome picture from Charles bridge. Yeah, no, there's, there's a great one. I think it's on my Facebook. Uh, I just remember that our big thing in Prague every day was walking around trying to find Wi-Fi. <laughs> Oh, was it? That's so funny. Yeah, there's a, there's it's, a video. I'll have to share it with you. It's on my Facebook, like buried, like back in time. But it's uh, you and me, and I have my my little video camera. And you're, I'm like, Rob, tell them what we're doing. You're like, we're trying to find Wi-Fi, and we're just walking down the street. <laughs> it's a really funny video, man. That, uh, that's 2011 problems, and that's all. You 
Now there's apps for that. You just press a button and you're connected. Yeah. It's crazy. That's actually why I'm late. I was helping my buddy get a SIM card down here in Mexico because he's staying for like three weeks. Wow. So we got him a SIM card. So he's got data. He doesn't have to worry about Wi-Fi anymore. That's awesome, man. So uh, what was your last big trip that you did like before this one? I know that like you used to hit me up all the time and go, hey, man, I'm going to Vietnam. I'm going here. I'm going there. And I was always, hey, I'm I'm working my corporate job or, hey, I just had a baby. Like it just never worked out. So like what was your last big trip you did? I'm going to take you back. So when I went on that trip in 2011, you some stuff. I was going through some stuff as well. I had a, um, I was making poker TV shows and U S government came in and changed everything up. And so I kind of lost my job as well in 2011, I guess more or less, or went from like full-time to contract work. So I started traveling, you know, I was like, well, surely this isn't going to last forever. And I ended up traveling for basically four years straight from 2012 to 2016. I didn't have a home. I put stuff in storage and was just traveling around. So those were like, I mean, people are like, well, well, you're going on a trip. I'm like, my whole life is kind of a big trip. I'm just going place to place between work gigs. Um, and then 2016, I got sick of it and moved back to San Diego. And so I've been back in San Diego for three years. Um, and now I'm taking like a lot smaller trips. So for me, I'm going like once a month or once every other month for like, you know, three days to seven days going on a little vacation. But to me, that's nothing now after being, you know, going places for a month or two months. So I guess the last big trip is we did, I did New Zealand last year for the first time. And that was amazing. What a beautiful country that was. That country is awesome, man. I mean, there's, there's a few places in the world that I wouldn't mind like moving to. And that's definitely one of them. It's beautiful. I mean, I didn't even scratch the surface. We were only on the North Island. We had eight days and I'm like, I don't want to you know, be spending all my times in airports. So we spent eight days just driving around. We rented a car for part of it and saw like, I think only like three or four towns, but I haven't even touched the South Island. It's like, what a huge country. Have you, uh, I mean, I usually talk about this at the end of the episode, but this is kind of a different episode. We'll get back into the music stuff soon, but you've been to so many countries. I mean, I've been to a lot of countries as well. I'm sure you've got me beat, but what was like one of your just most favorite places? I know that you spent a lot of time in Budapest, Hungary. I I know you love the people there and whatnot, but what was, what's one place that everyone should go check out? Um, Yeah, for sure. Budapest is a huge one. I mean, I went after we met up that one trip in, in Europe, that was the last country I went to. And more and more, every time I went back to Europe, I like, ended up back in Budapest, and I was like, wow, the city's great. I mean, the English is amazing there. The food's great. It's super cheap. It's a great nightlife. It's a beautiful city. I mean, that's a great city. Um, but then, yeah, I went to Vietnam a couple of years ago for 10 days and absolutely fell in love with Vietnam, and I'm like, I've been itching to go back there and see that again. And then Japan, those are like my top three. Japan is just like so different than any other country that you could go to. It's like the future. You're living in the future, like literally and figuratively. Especially Tokyo. Tokyo is just like, it's like being on a TV set, walking through the street. It's just a whole crazy scene. I mean, the food there is amazing. Uh, You know, actually the last time I went, the English was pretty good, but like, it's just a whole, it's a trip, man. And it's a beautiful country as well. And the people there are just the sweetest, nicest people in the world. Speaking of Japan, I just, something just struck me funny. I remember when you and I took that overnight trip to Vienna and then we were looking for food and we ended up getting sushi in Vienna. And I remember not feeling too hot afterwards. It's probably (laughs) a bad bad idea. (laughs) What were we thinking getting sushi in Vienna? That's crazy, man. Why why didn't we get like strudel or something, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. That was, so those are, those are probably my top three. I know you, you were big on South Africa. I've been, yeah. I went once to work and I spent a week in Cape town on vacation after a crazy, like I did three weeks in a row on three different continents doing a job. Wow. And so that was like my vacation. And I loved, I loved it in Cape town. I definitely wouldn't put it like top three, but it was pretty amazing. Well, and I mean, I, I think the travel bug, you know, it, it got you, it got me. The thing that, that I love about South Africa, I've been a lot of other places I love just as much, but mm-hmm. we, we went down there on tour and it was the first real time on a tour that we didn't just, you know, every day have a show, every day have a flight. It was like right. we, we played a show and we had two days off. We played a show, we had two days off. And on the off days, we actually got to go see stuff and we met the greatest people. I still stay in contact with the people that were working that tour and I think a lot of the times, like I, I know how many friends you made in Budapest and places like that. And I would see your post about it on, on, on Facebook. And I think when you have a connection with a place and you actually meet the people, it means more to you. Like, I mean, maybe there's a shitty country I've been to, but I've probably met great people there. So I'm not going to think it's a shitty place. You know what I mean? I always say, I think like people have different preferences of what they like in a city. Um, I know I like big cities more than like, you know, a tiny town. I like to have a lot of food and drink options and coffee shops, but really like you nailed it. Like if your experience in that city is going to, you know, decide whether you like that city a lot or not. If you go to a city and it's like, you know, I went to uh, Warsaw, Poland once and it was hailing and raining. Every time I said that, it started hailing on me. I hate Warsaw. I'm sure it's a great town. I'm sure if I went again and met the right people, I'd have the most amazing time. Yeah. But my memory now is that I got hailed on, was miserable and cold, and I had a terrible time. So in my mind, I hate that city. Can Do you have any p- times, I mean, I have some times where things happen to me kind of crazy. With all the traveling that you've done, I'm sure there's been some times where you've been scared or maybe you've been you know, robbed. or Was there anything like that that's happened to you? Oh yeah, I got a, I got a good story. I don't even on my list because it wasn't music related. Um, so I was in Ukraine and a buddy of mine, an American friend, for a month. And girls, we followed them to like some club outside of the city center in like the suburbs. And we found it was like just not a club for us. We're like, let's get out of here. And we tried to see taxis trying to rip us off because they knew we were Americans. They were telling us prices that were like four times the price of what it should have been. So we walk out to the street to try to find a street taxi that maybe isn't going to rip us off. And this guy walks up to this big guy. He's like, oh, you guys, uh, American. Yeah, you work out. And we're like, yeah. And I'm ignoring the guy because I just, nothing as good is going to come from this conversation. And my buddy's kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So he goes and he, he goes to pick my buddy up, like over his head. And he like stops him. And then he picks me up over his head. And when he puts me down, I realize he's got my phone. He lifted me up and got my phone to slip out of my pocket. And that was his whole plan. He wasn't drunk. He was pretending to be drunk. So I'm like, he's got my phone. And we start running after the guy. And we get about a half a block down the road. And I realize how stupid we are to chase this guy down. We're like, foreign country. We don't know if he's got any weapons. We don't know where he's leading us. And so I tell my buddy, I start yelling at my buddy. I'm like, stop, stop. Forget it. Just let it go. And he's like caught up to the guy. And he kind of throws a punch and misses him but like kind of hits him with the elbow and the guy gets scared and hands back my phone. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that that just happened. Like <laughs> that was the one time I was, I was basically robbed and they basically fought and got home. It was like, just like the craziest 15 seconds ever. Was that in Kiev or was that somewhere else? That was in Kiev. Yeah. I was in like a suburb in Kiev. And like, I mean, my gut said, don't talk to this guy in the first place. It was just me by myself. I feel like I wouldn't have gotten robbed. Yeah. It was only because my buddy engaged him. Um, but in fairness, he, you know, he threw his umbrella at the guy and, you know, got my phone back and he's got a great story. He tells that story all the time. And, you know, 
like I don't know how dangerous it was. I did I in a split second I let's not do this because you don't know what's going to happen, you know. A phone's a phone. I don't know if I told you or not, but uh, I've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Uh, I think we talked about it. I lived in Jamaica for a while back in 2016. Right. And I was, man, I tell you, all the tours that I did, there were only a couple kind of sketchy moments in being overseas. But when I was in Jamaica, one of the t- determining factors that kind of made me not want to work there and move back home was that I, I always had to drive to Negril from from uh, Montego Bay. And I, you've been to Jamaica, correct? Yeah, I've been to Montego Bay. I remember Negril was the place you're not supposed to go. Is that right? No, Negril is actually a really nice place. There's a, You're not supposed to go to Kingston. And there's some other places you're not supposed to go. But from, from Montego Bay, where I lived, to go to Negril, I would get in my car and I would make this drive through the mountains and through these places where no tourists really go. Do you know what I'm saying? It was like yeah. a two and a half yeah. hour drive around the island. And uh, my boss always told me, make sure that you gas up in Montego Bay before you go because you don't want to have to stop midway to get gas. Right. And I was driving one day and I get into this little tiny town and anybody that's done any traveling in, in uh, Jamaica probably knows about this town. It's called Lu- Lucia. But they call it Lucy. And it's kind of up in the mountains, kind of between Montego Bay and Negril. And I was really low on gas. And I'm like, you know, screw it. What's going to happen to me? Like I'm a, I'm a big bald tattooed dude. Like nobody tattooed guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got 30 bucks American in my pocket. So if somebody wants money, I'll give it to him. I'm not going to get killed. So I pulled off to the side of this little gas station and I was pumping my gas. I went in, paid for it first, came out. I was pumping my gas. Everything's great. People are staring at me. Cause I mean, there's like a guy, you know, over at the side where the pumps are and he's got like a cow that he's walking down the street and like there's this lady with all her chickens. I mean, it's the middle of Jamaica. It's not like sandals. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, so this guy comes up to me and he's got kind of like this weird kind of pleather like windbreaker on and it's like 90 degrees. It's fucking Jamaica. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, what are you doing? You know, with this little accent. And I'm like, I just pumping gas, dude. He's like, what are you doing here? And I said, <laughs> and I was, this is the thing where I kind of messed up. I had a buddy named Kevin who uh, <clears throat> told me that anytime the cab drivers or anybody mess with you, just say me a yardie, which means I'm a local. So he said, what are you doing here? And I said, me a yardie. He goes, maybe in Mo Bay, but not here. And his, his demeanor kind of changed. And I was like, well, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm from, I live in Montego Bay. I, I'm driving in a grill for work. I just had to get gas. I was trying to explain to this guy what's going on. And so he just kind of flashes this pistol at me and he goes, you got any money? <laughs> and I said, yeah. I said, do you want it? I was kind of, I mean, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I was kind of like, dude, like just leave me the fuck alone. So he goes, okay. yeah. He goes, yeah, I want your money, Yardy. So I handed him the money and he took off and there was maybe one or two other times where I was in a place maybe I shouldn't have been and and I could have gotten hurt or robbed again, but it just wasn't a, I mean, I love Jamaica. I love the people I met there. I love the work that I was doing there, but it just wasn't the place for me to live long term, you know? You don't, you don't want to live in a place where you're getting robbed on the reg. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the thing, man. Like I, I get looked at sometimes where I live in America because of my tattoos and people think I, right. I look scary because I'm, I have a bald head or whatever in Jamaica. Not only do I stand out like a sore thumb because there's not a lot of Caucasians there that actually live there, but it's a very conservative country. And when you have tattoos, they think you're either rich or they think you're a criminal. 
because only but, rich rock stars yeah, what have a gamble to, for that guy yeah yeah but what a gamble for this guy he's like i'm gonna rob this guy hopefully he's not a thug and he's not gonna kill me you know well <laughs> also though i was in like this soccer dad like nissan van and <laughs> yeah i mean i i probably looked pretty funny I, I shouldn't have been in that city at all but you know right right yeah heed the warning when they when the, they say don't go there you know probably don't go there but well, I, I just fi- i figured in my head i'm like okay so i shouldn't stop but if I don't stop, I'm going to be stranded in the middle of the mountains with no gas. So it was, it was a, it was a spur of the moment decision, you know? That's crazy, man. That's, that's insane. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't live with that. I mean, I actually had a bunch of warnings. I'm not even walk around in Cape town and I was, uh, I think it's going to be okay. And same thing. I'm, I went to, uh, um, Brazil a few years back and they said, don't take out your phone in public. I'm, how am I going to use Google maps and get around? But like, yeah. Well, yeah, there, uh, what was I going to say in, uh, <laughs> I remember my, my weird experience in Cape town, we had this tour manager named Nancy shout out to Nancy. I know she listens to some of these, but, um, we were in <clears throat> this van and we were heading to this place outside of town called Stellenbosch. There's a big university. Yeah. There's like a big wine winery there, right? Yeah. 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 So we're heading out there cause the show is actually out there. So we had to leave, like we were staying in Cape town, but we had to go take this van to get to the show. And we're going by this huge township out in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like in, in Johannesburg, they've got Soweto. It's kind of where, you know, all the, the poorer people live and whatnot. And I can't remember, yeah. I can't remember the name of the township, but it's like the second largest township in the country. But we're driving down the road, and on the GPS, this warning came up. This said stoning area warning. And I asked Nancy, I'm like, what's a stoning area? And she's like, oh, well, at night, they put these huge, like, boulders in the street, and you'll you'll run them over with your tires, and they'll pop your tires, and then they'll come and kill you with a machete and take all your money. Jesus. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, and we have to drive back. Warn you that's crazy. It's crazy that it's so bad that the GPS sends you a warning. I mean, it was scared the shit out of me, man. Well, I, I guess you were fine. You had Nancy to take care of you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if, I mean, maybe that was a total bullshit thing that she told me just to scare us. But I was like, oh, so tonight when the show's over, we have to drive back to Cape Town. I said, whoever's driving needs to not hit any rocks. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. It was it was scary, but I mean, voluntarily. That's amazing for us. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Uh, we've talked about the travel stuff. I'm sure we'll get back to it. I am interested. You know what your path in music was. You started listening to K Rock and getting into everything. What were some of the bands that first got you excited about music? So I moved out of San Diego and I met this girl in high school, and she started showing me all these local bands in San Diego. And I don't know who. Um, who was big who, that you know of other than like the Blink 182s? But well, I was listening to like Rocket from the Crypt and Pilot and uh, Unwritten Law and Inch and all these amazing bands in San Diego that nobody knew about. Um, and at that time, I was obsessed with the movie Wayne's World. And I said, <laughs> awesome. what, if, what if I make a public access TV show and spotlight local bands? So at like 15 years old, I made a like one of my first websites back or like websites for a thing promoting this show. It was called San Diego Rocks. Now I never made the show. I never made the TV show, but I had this website that promoted local music and I got all this press in San Diego about this like internet whiz kid who's making, you know, band websites and I was basically making a presence for all these bands before they even had one. 
Um, so that's really what got me into it was all these local bands. Oh, Lucy's for Coat. Uh, I don't know how many of these you've heard of. No Knife is still my favorite band. Oh, I, I love No Knife, man. I, I actually got into them from the, the Thrice guys always used to talk about I was going to say, yeah, he said it on the interview and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, it's amazing. This band was so influential. Um, I mean, they're probably Jimmy World's number one influence. They used to take No Knife out on tour all the time. And yet they never like broke through. I, I just saw their reunion show you know, with like 200 people at the Casbah, like they're, they never broke through that next level. And they were probably like one of the most amazing bands. If you haven't listened to them, anybody that's listening to the show, please go listen to No Knife. They're amazing. Yeah. I'd actually like to have them on if you, if you know anybody. <laughs> Absolutely, man. They are the nicest people ever. In fact, I'll tell you a No Knife story. Okay. Um, what, what made me a fan, I was like 16 years old, seeing them for one of the first time at this tiny little venue called the Soul Kitchen. And, uh, I watched their set and I was like, Oh, I want to buy a t-shirt from you guys. And the singer Mitch was like, Hey, come out to my van. I got, we got the shirts in the van. You know, we just got back off tour. Like, let me get you a shirt. So I walked to the van with him and he like opens up his like Tupperware container. And he's like, yeah, we got this one, this one. I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll take this shirt. And I was like, how much is it? And he's like, you know what? We spilled water on it. You can just have it. And I was like, wait, 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 what? He's like, we spilled water on these shirts. Just take the shirt. And I was like, no, like, let me pay, like, let me buy a shirt, man. And he was such a nice guy. He's like, no, I, I insist, like, take it. And that turned me into a fan for, I think I still even have the shirt that I bought when I was 16 years old. And like, that's just the kind of people they are. They would always like take care of their fans and like, you know, just little things like that. It was like, that's absurd. I'm trying to give you money. And he turned it down. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm like, let me come to your next show. Then when's your next show? I'll come to your next show and, you know, support you guys. And, you know, I was at every show of theirs and every record they put out they would sell me the cd before it came out and you know i'd tell my friends about it here i'm promoting them on the show they're amazing i feel like on one of those uh element cds from thrice they actually covered a no knife song i'll have to check it out and maybe send it to you no way yeah. i have not heard that it's funny because i just got into thrice because of your show after that guy was on i listened to that record and i'm blown away that's probably one of the best records of the last year or two well yeah and that's the thing like i mean the cool thing about thrice that I love, and I'm hopefully you're finding this out, go back and listen to some of the other records. Like some of them you might not dig. I know you're not into like heavier stuff, but every record is different. Like they never ever settle for doing the same thing twice. And that's why I love that band so much. And I've been such a fan and a champion for that band because every time a new record comes out, you don't know what you're going to get, but if you like thrice, you're probably going to like it. Yeah, if you played me that record, this new record, I would never know it was Thrice based on yeah. like it sound anything like what my vision of Thrice is. Well, yeah, I mean those those first records as much as I love them cuz I'm a, I'm an old metalhead. I mean, it's it's a different band, same guys, but I mean, it's it's every every time they put something out, it's it's almost like a brand new band. And that's why I like it. It's kind of like Radiohead. Like you never kind of know what you're going to get with Radiohead yeah. either, you know. That's great because it takes a lot of balls to do that because your two choices as a band is grow and evolve and play what you want to play or keep writing the same record and you're bored but you're keeping your fans. When you make yeah. like a new record every time, you're really gambling because you might lose your fans. So I give them a lot of props for you know pushing the envelope and trying new stuff. That's hard. Most bands just say let's just keep making the same record and you I know mean, that, make a living. That's the thing. It's 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 integrity for your art, but there also is something to be said where if you're a career musician. You know, you don't want to ruffle too many feathers, but I mean that I give them mad props too, because yeah, they just keep expanding and keep evolving every time they put something out, which, you know, I like a lot of bands that don't do that as well, but it's always a nice breath of fresh air when it does happen. Yeah, for sure. So that, that record, that record is really good. And I'm, and I pretty much hate everything that comes out now. Every, every CD that comes out, I try it out. I go, eh, I don't feel like any of the new music. I mean, 
I, yeah, I know you talk a lot about being 40. I'm also 40. Yeah. Do you feel like at this age, we're starting to be those like curmudgeons that just don't like anything that gets put out or is the music now just terrible? Well, I mean, I, I have that conversation with a lot of people. I There's still stuff that comes out that strikes a chord with me and I'm, I'm open enough to tell people like, you know, there's a, a singer named Halsey. I don't know if you know Halsey very much, yep. but yep. I, I really enjoy her. I think she's got a very unique sounding voice and I, and I don't know how much of it she actually writes, but I, I usually enjoy her stuff quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, there's a lot we're of, talking, sh- we're just talking about on the show too. You just mentioned another female artist that you listen to. Uh, I think that your daughter likes, I don't remember. <laughs> Is it Lord? Were we talking about Lord on the show? I may have talked about Lord. My daughter's only a year old, so I don't know. She likes pretty oh, much everything. It was somebody else. Oh, my, <laughs> maybe it was one of your guest daughters or something. I thought maybe it was Lord. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. I think one of my guests was talking about something. But yeah, man, I mean, I do I think that most stuff out there right now is shit? And do I not like mumble rap and stuff like that? Yeah, of course. Like, I'm, right. a, I'm a big hip-hop guy. I just don't really get into this new stuff where you can't even understand what they're saying. And then I sound like an old guy when I say that too, but I feel like the nineties were my heyday because I had fat records and I had epitaph and I had grunge and I, I had, you know, really good metal. Like I, and I know that's, I grew up in the nineties. So I, that's probably why I have such a fondness for it. But nowadays I don't know if it's the internet and everything is so on demand and people put out singles instead of records. But like I have students that I teach guitar and they, they're like, what do you, what do you like? What's your favorite band? I'm like, I don't really have a favorite band. I'm like, how do you not have a favorite band? Like, I just don't understand <laughs> that. that. No knife is my go-to for favorite band, even though it's hard to say like favorite, but like a band that like, if they played a show, you would make sure that you didn't miss, you didn't miss a show. Yeah. There has to be Ben. I think Metallica for you. You talk about Metallica all well, the time. They have to be your favorite. Well, but here's the thing. So Metallica is playing in Indianapolis on Monday. This I'm doing this recording a couple of days before that. I don't know when this is coming out, but uh they're yeah. out, they're on the tour and they're playing on Monday. I actually know a couple guys that actually work for them and I was going to try to get tickets and then my buddy was like, "Oh, I'll get tickets." And then he didn't get tickets. And so I went on StubHub and the cheapest ticket I could get is like $400. So I'm going to pass this time because I've seen Metallica 16 times and I feel like I would much rather keep that $400 for something else. <laughs> Here's where you went wrong. You picked a band to really like that is huge and famous. You got to pick the no knives of the world that play for like 20 bucks and then you well, don't have to worry about it. Well, you that's the thing too, time. because like my other favorite band is Propagandi and they don't tour very much down here. And then, you know, yeah. I, I love Lucero. I just had Brian from Lucero on and they were just an indie with flogging Molly but I, I didn't feel too good and I've, cause I've been sick for a little bit the last week or so. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to go, but they were opening for flogging Molly. So it's like drive an hour to watch them play for a half hour and then drive home. And I told Brian, I'm like, next time you guys come through on a headliner, I'll be there early. Right. <laughs> but it's See, that- my, my other one that I would come with right now is uh you know, passion pit. Oh yeah. 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 I love Passion Pit and they're doing this tour where they're playing one of their records from like 10 years ago and they're coming nowhere near me and I'm going to I'm going to like fly somewhere to go see the show like so I guess I guess they're a favorite of mine too because I'm going to travel for it. So, you know, talking about music, you're talking about No Knife and these bands that kind of you're doing your website and everything. Tell me about the uh the compilation thing. Yeah, so yeah, we're I feel like we're not talking about music enough. Well, no, boring. it's it's tangents, man. I I love cuz you're my yeah. bu- you're my buddy. You're not somebody that's trying to sell a record, you know? Right. Yeah, that's the best. I got nothing to promote here. I'm just here cuz I'm a fan of the show. 
So um, after after I did these websites, um, I can't remember how it transitioned, but I love you had Matt Pinfield because he was a hero to me growing up as well. I used to watch 120 minutes and this is back like VHS days. Here's yeah. what I used to do. to set my VCR to record the 120 minutes. Cause it was on like midnight to two on Sunday nights. And then Monday after school, I would come home, hook up two different VCRs and I would transfer the videos that I liked from 120 minutes to this compilation tape. And I had this like VHS tape, with you know rancid and blink and all these random bands that were like never getting airplay and i started loaning it out in high school and i could never get this tape back everybody was like oh my gosh i've never seen this video before there was no youtube there's like nowhere to see these videos i said you know what there's like a market for this i wonder if i could put out this vhs tape of all these music videos and sell it in stores and at the same time cinema beer goggles or nuts or whichever the first one was if that was coming out nuts i think was the first one beer nuts so we came out at the same time. They had a bigger label behind them and money, and they weren't a 16-year-old kid. But I put out this VHS tape called Out of the Bin um, as a 16-year-old kid calling up Fat Records being like, hey, can I get Descendants on this record or on this VHS? And they're like, sure. They didn't even know I was 16. I'm signing contracts. I had no idea what I was doing, but somehow I pulled it off and made this video and sold it in stores and got distribution. And thanks to my buddy who did the graphics for it, he's like, put a record label name on there in case you want to start a record label. And of course I did. And I put out like 10 releases after that with a couple of San Diego bands. Um, but yeah, that started out and it was like a huge accomplishment. You know, uh, Real Big Fish was on there, Goldfinger, Blink, Unwritten Law. Uh, I had like five fat bands. I know Descendants was on there. I don't remember who else was on there. It was like, it was a pretty big deal. What was the process like? I mean, you weren't just dubbing stuff in your in your living room. You actually went to like a a, a like a plant that made the tapes, right? With packaging exactly, and everything. Yeah, they love me because I found a place in San Diego to do. I mean, I found a company to make the uh, the master um, and put some graphics on there and you know some titles and stuff, very basic. And then I went to I found a place in San Diego and just showed up and like you know, 16 year old negotiated with these guys said, Hey, I need a thousand videos. What can you give me? What price? Let's go printing. Um, and they were like, you know, they were making VHS copies up in uh, Rancho Bernardo in San Diego and, you know, distributing it. And then I got cargo records, helped me distro it, which was uh, blinks first label. And we did, yeah, we did like, I think I only did like three or 4,000 of the VHS, but at the time, you know, as a 16 year old kid, that was huge, you know, making deals. And that transitioned me into like really, I think my start in the industry. Um, we made a website. The guy that uh, designed the graphics for my VHS is named Dave Clinker. He had a band called Carter Peace Mission in San Diego, and we were super good friends. And we made this awesome. He did all the graphics for me, and he, we made a website to promote the VHS. And it went so well. He's like, "Why don't we do a band website?" And I was like, "Okay, I'm into it. Like a real band website with graphics and everything. Like who?" And said, so, you know the Blink guys, you had them on the on your VHS. Why don't we do a Blink website? And I'm like, do you think we could get them to do it? And he's like, sure, ask them. Why not? So I went up to him straight point blank, and I was like, hey Mark, you guys want a website? And he's like, what's that? And I was like, you know, on TV, <laughs> like they have these commercials, HTTP colon slash. He like spelled it all out. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you need like one of those. He's like, do we need it? And I'm like, every band's gonna have a website, like you know, in a few years. And he's like, okay, let's do it. And that was it. And we did Blink's first website. Um, putting it on the web and uh i worked like extensively with them hanging out getting all their pictures scanning all the stuff in you know managing tour dates and i actually ended up running a mail order for them for a while and that was really like my start in the music industry i think that's awesome man did you uh do you still talk to any of those guys at all 
No, it's actually, uh, so I did their first website and then we made a second one when Enema of the State was coming out. Um, and that was right when their original drummer, Scott, was uh, going out of the band and Travis was coming in. And right around that time, the uh, a lot of um, record labels were taking over the websites for bands. I think it's come back where the bands are running their own websites. Yeah. But at that, that point, it was kind of seen as like basically like an ad, and a print ad. So the um, the record label took over the website and they basically had no use for me again um or you know use for me anymore so we were we, i mean we were friendly uh and it's kind of like fizzled out you know they were getting way way more and more famous and then you know they left san diego um but i definitely parlayed it i mean i i was in new york when they were filming saturday night live and somehow i edged my way backstage and got myself into saturday night live when they played which is just you know a dream come true <laughs> that's awesome, seeing a taping man. of saturday night live so that was that was pretty amazing. I remember seeing uh, something that you posted or somebody posted and tagged you in on Facebook. It was a video from somewhere in Arizona back in the day, and they were playing, oh, yeah. and you were on the stage with them. Dude, that that is a great story. It trips me out. Um, so I've been telling the story for like twenty years. Back when we were, I was like, I don't know, eighteen or nineteen. Is when Dude Ranch came out. The website launched, and me and Dave, uh, my co-designer, we went on a weekend of shows. It was uh, Vegas. Uh, Mesa and Havasu, like a three shows to promote them. So we're on stage uh, on the side of the stage for Blink during this show at Mesa at um, at the Nile, and we're watching. We're on the side of the stage, and Mark comes over to me while he's playing, and he whispers in my ear. He's like, "Watch my shit," and I was like, "What?" And he goes, "And he goes, watch my shit," and he goes back up and he's playing. And I turned to Dave and I was like, "He's like, what do you say?" I'm like, "He said, watch my shit." I like, what what does that mean? He's like, you know, watches watches like equipment. I'm like, why would I need to watch his equipment? It's like, we're on stage. Like what there's, there's people crowd surfing, but like, I don't understand. Watch my shit. So we're having this debate what that means. I turn and a bass flying at my head. He <laughs> threw his bass at me and jumped in the crowd. And I was like, I bear, I almost got hit in the head. And so I grab his bass and I bring it backstage and I put it back in a case for him. And he comes backstage and I'm like, watch my shit. And he's like, well, I don't have time to explain. Like I was going to throw my bass and jump in the crowd. I'm like, catch my bass. <laughs> The exact same number of syllables and very clear. He's like, "Oh, sorry." So I've been telling the story for like twenty years, and uh, I went on Reddit and I was like talking to people about how I made the Blink website and ans- answering questions. And I came across footage from this concert. I don't know how this is like pre cell phones. Somebody had a camera, built videotaped the whole show. Sure enough, I fast forward to the end. He leans into some guy who's on the stage, does something twice, and then throws a bass at him. And I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly how I've been telling the story for 20 years. <laughs> it's just crazy to see it from a new perspective, you know? And like a lot of times you tell a story and it changes over the years. You misremember facts about it. Yeah. Maybe he didn't maybe he didn't tell me twice. No, he told me twice. It's like clear as day. It was just such a trip. Dude, I was listening, speaking of that, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about it's actually like scientifically proven that the more you tell a story, it does change, but the more you tell a story and it changes is how you remember it. So every, every time you tell a story, you actually add a couple more details that didn't happen, but your, your brain can't really determine that that's the, like, it just thinks that's the truth. So you're remembering it a certain way, but it's completely different in reality. That's why when I saw the video and it was exactly how I remember it, I called Dave and I was like, you won't believe it. This show is online. Everything like, from the lean in twice like that was the one i was like maybe he just said it once and in my brain i changed it to say it twice because he said it the first time i had no idea like what does that mean watch my shit i heard him but i didn't understand it and i was like <laughs> what and he said it twice and you can see in the video he leans in twice and i'm like oh my god that's exactly that one tripped me out for sure and like 
it's a it's a shame because I I mean we didn't have cell phones so I have like I have no pictures with Blink like yeah. if you asked me to prove that I made Blink's website I couldn't even prove it to you other than to show you the website but like that was that that's pretty trippy to me to see like a video of like a story I've told that one's pretty crazy to me oh and I was in the Blink One Two video for Damn It that's my proof there you go <laughs> awesome man we need to check that out yeah but yeah that's one thing that people tell me all the time because you know I. I've had success in music. I played in the Ataris. I played in a band called Brazil that was on Fearless Records. I played in Underminded that was on Kung Fu. I played in this band called The Reason that was on Warner Brothers. Like I've done a lot of stuff and met a lot of people. But every time I tell people about kind of my, you know, resume, they're like, well, where's all the pictures with famous people? I'm like, you got to realize I didn't get a smartphone until like my last year in the Ataris. It's crazy. I mean, I wish, I wish I, and like, and some of that is like you had a phone or you had a camera and like, you could have taken, you know, an end of day tour photo with everybody. And some people did that, but I just, I didn't even think of it. I have a couple pictures here and there from like touring days, but it was never the bands I was on tour with. You know, it was always like I ran into some celebrity backstage, you know, and I got a picture with them. Like I have a picture with little Bow Wow. (laughs) And that's actually, that was from Chris, from Chris Rowe. Uh, Yeah. I was, in, I was in New York with, on tour with uh, this band, The Format, who is the singer from Fawn, who became uh, Nate Roos. He became super famous. My anyway, sister we were loves The Format. She used to listen to them Dude, they were so They were like my favorite band to tour with. They were like, musically, I love them. Um, but yeah, we had like a week off in New York, and Chris was there for like some award show. And he's like, hey, do you want to come? I'm like, yeah. And Little Bow Wow was there, and I got a picture. I didn't even know who he was, but I took a picture with him. Like, no problem. He's like, I don't even know, 13, 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. That was so random. That's awesome. So speaking of Chris Rowe, why don't you take me kind of down the path of how you started working for the Ataris? Yeah, I mean, if I can back it up again. Um, sure. So after the website stuff, I started putting on concerts in San Diego. Uh, that was like my next step. I had a concert promotion company because there was no all-age venue. And so I started putting on shows. They, did, uh, they didn't have Soma back then? So Soma has three iterations the first one was tiny and then they opened up a second one that was the one that like i spent my childhood going and i saw blink play like you know for like 500 people and i saw corn and i saw i don't even know who i saw there like i saw everybody green day i saw um i actually flyered for them to get in free to the shows so i used to go to all these shows and be backstage and meeting all these people you know like 15 16 years old they shut down and they didn't open up their third version till like 10 years later. So there was like a void and I started, I found a venue called the epicenter in Mira Mesa and we just started putting on shows and it was like, we had newfound glory. We had the Ataris back in the day. We had all these different bands and it became very clear that all the bands were having way more fun than me because they were on tour traveling. So I just started asking bands left and right. I'm like, will you take me on tour? Will you take me on tour? Will you take me on tour? And then finally uh, Midtown was like, yeah, come out with us for a few days. We have a three day gig. We need a, we need a, you know, a stage tech. So I went out with them for a few days and then ended up working for Phoenix TX because they were from San Diego. And that was my first tour going to Europe. Um, we, we went out, we went out there. And then from there, I worked for Yellow Card for a number of years. And then after Yellow Card, I actually left Yellow Card to go tour the Ataris because the Ataris were like on a bus and Yellow Card was still in a van. <laughs> yeah. So. I was like, no question. Yellow card like begged me to stay. And they were, I mean, they were blowing up pretty big. It was clear they were going to get bigger, but I'm like, look, I already booked this tour with the Ataris and I'm going out with them, which turned out to be one of the gnarliest tours I've ever been on. Like this is like in their heyday of like just crazy. And that was, Oh my gosh. I've, I've got a lot of stories from that tour. Let's hear a couple stories. This is called that one time on tour. And I mean, this is all new to me as well. So tell me about the gnarly tour with the Ataris since it's, it's kind of near and dear to my heart, you know? 
So you do you know our friend uh, Chet? You know Chet, right? Oh yeah, I know Chet. So Chet's the reason why I ever worked with the Ataris. He got me. Uh, he introduced me to Chris and was like, "Hey, this guy's doing websites." So I did the Ataris website, and then Chris and I kind of hit it off. And Chris has been notorious for being difficult to work with, and I think everybody knows that. No. In I think Chris not knows it Chris, now. Not Chris Rowe. I know Chris Rowe, <laughs> but I've I've never had a problem with that guy. We've I, we've seen eye to eye. I've never really had any issues. So he brought me. He's like, "Come tour manage this tour." You know, you you get along with all the guys. Everybody seems cool. So I went out on this tour. It was uh, 2002, I think. Um, Sugar called Autopilot off, and Rufio was the support, from what I remember. And it was my first time tour managing on a bus, and they were like at the height of their their like fame. They had put out, you know, So Long Astoria, MTV, all this stuff. And all I remember was a that, nightmare. That had, that had to be later then, because So Long Astoria came out in 03. Was it 03? That's when it came out, and that's when they hit big in 03 and 04, so it must have been around that time period. Okay, maybe it was maybe it was after that then. Um, but I swear So Long Astoria was out, but... They were like, I was dealing with management and the label like every day and they didn't understand. I feel like they don't understand the tour manager role. So I'm out with the band and they're partying and whatever. And we're playing shows and we're out till two, three in the morning. If you think I'm going to wake up at 8 a.m. to take calls with the uh, with the label, you're you're high. That's not happening. I'm here yeah. until two, three in the morning. And I would like they'd be like, OK, we're going to call you. I'm like, I'm not going to be up till noon. Like, I don't know what life you think I'm living, but there's no way I'm up before noon. They really didn't like that. So I, I definitely like did not get along with management. But as far as the band, we got along great. And my favorite story about this tour, and it's crazy because I don't, this is another one of those, I have a story and I don't have any way to prove it. Um, and I've changed the facts, but here's what I remember. So Mike got really drunk, I think on a show and couldn't play. Like he was so gone, he couldn't play. And Chris and Johnny came to me and were like, do you think you can play bass for this show? Now I play guitar. I'm not a guitar player. Like I'm a hobbyist, I guess, but I can kind of get by. And from memory in some podunk town, I played an entire set on that tour. And the entire time Johnny was like yelling out chords every time he's like, Hey, (laughs) and I played a whole set on bass, not knowing what the hell I was doing. And then he'd like, he'd tell me the chords and I'd be like, cool, I'll see you at the bridge. And I'd like, you know, play the, you know, the verse or the chorus. You and probably did better than Mike did. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I mean, he was not known for being the best bass player. And like, really, who's going to notice anyway? Yeah, yeah. So I remember, I remember that from that tour, but I couldn't even tell you where it was. And obviously, you have no video proof, but I swear that happened. Um, and then <laughs> I, I believe you, man. I, <laughs> it, it, sounds, it sounds plausible, right? Yeah, it sounds plausible. Uh, my favorite was waking up Thanksgiving morning and it was like 11 a.m. or noon or whatever time you wake up. And I come off the bus and Kid and Mike are sitting on the curb outside the bus, which is not normal. Usually, like, I'm the first one up at noon, except for maybe Chris. And Mike and Kid are sitting on and they're like rolling around the ground. I was like, Are you guys all right? And they're like, We got up last night. We went to a strip club and they were closed, but they opened up for us. And we spent all night at a strip club from like 2 a.m. to noon. And they were like, it was just, I was like, who are you guys? Who am I on tour with right now? It's like Motley Crue or something. <laughs> it was such, I, I, I couldn't, I can't even put into words how gnarly that tour was. Like, I never know what I was going to wake up to. Meanwhile, like, you know, going out with Yellow Card or Phoenix Text, it's like, hey, where are we staying tonight? Where's the hotel? You know, where's the food? Yeah. You know, at worst, like, hey, let me pull you out of the bar. We got to go to our next show. But like, this was like a whole nother level of babysitting. Dude, I, I don't. I, I wasn't gonna tell this story, but it's pretty funny, and it actually happened in Vegas that same time I met you. Yeah. <clears throat> so, 
after we were up on the on the roof of the Rio, because you brought up a strip club, and this is a good story, and, and I don't think okay. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Chris Chris Rowe is going to be mad that I tell the story. It's pretty funny. Um, so after we got done on the roof of the Rio, the party was over. We were all going back to our suites to go to sleep, and there's this huge slot machine in the hallway before we go back to the rooms. And Chris puts a twenty in and pulls it down, and he wins fifteen hundred dollars. Wow! So he go he goes. I'm going out. This was like four in the morning already. And he's like, you want to go with me? And like everybody else said, no, I'm tired. I'm tired. I said, screw it, dude. I'll go with you. So we went downstairs at the Rio. There were no cabs, but there was a town car and it was only right. 50 bucks. And Chris gives the guy money and he goes, take us to a strip club. And the guy's like, it's pretty late. And Chris like, this is Vegas. Take us to a strip club. <laughs> so we went to, a, we went to the strip club kind of on the outskirts of the strip. And the guy, you know, drops us off and we go up to the door and the lady at the door, she's like $70 each. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm from Indiana, man. If you paid five bucks to get into strip clubs. You pay 70. It's got to be a good strip club. So we paid. The, I didn't have any money at all. I told Chris, right. like, all I've got is my ID. I don't even have a credit card, man. I was going back to my room. So Chris pays for it. We go inside. There's in like, fairness, I will say, say, say what you will about Chris being difficult to work with, or that's the image, but I feel like he's the most generous guy. Like He probably didn't even care. He's like, 70 bucks, I just won 1500 Yeah, Here they, you go. Well, and I'm getting to the point in the story where that's kind of the funny thing. So uh, we, we get in there, and <clears throat> there's like maybe three other people in the entire place, and it's kind of, it's dead. I mean, it's almost five in the morning at this point. And so yeah. Chris goes, I'm going to go get a Coke. And I'm like, okay. And he never comes back. <laughs> and so I'm sitting... At this little table, and, and all the girls, are you tipping? Are you tipping? I wish I could. My buddy's got all my money. I don't. So I'm telling people for a good half hour that I don't have any money, and the security guys are looking at me like I feel very out of place. At one point, I'm the only person in the entire strip club, and I have no money. Wow. So uh, then I hear Boys of Summer come on the the stereo, and then I look back, and they've got like this like this video system all over the strip club, and they're playing Atari's videos, but I still don't know where Chris is. And so I'm sitting there and, and this guy comes up to me in this like three piece suit security guy, big, huge dude. He goes, listen, man, you need to start tipping. You need to get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, okay. But I said, I don't even know where I'm at. I don't know the address back to the Rio. I guess I could just tell someone the Rio, but you know, my buddy, my buddy is nowhere to be found. And so he goes, well, you got 10 minutes. And if you don't start tipping, you need to get out of here. So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of freaking out. And then all of a sudden here comes Chris running and he's like, (laughs) He's like, he's like, I decided not to tip and we got to get out of here now. <laughs> and I don't, oh my God. I don't even know like what the whole story was or where he was at, but evidently, yeah. evidently someone wanted money from him. He didn't want to give them money for some reason. And so now we had security guards chasing us down the road. Oh my God. And what the, strip club were you at? I have, I have no idea. It was out. It was not close. You could see the strip, but we were back pretty yeah. far. And so we're running, 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 and, and we're ducking down alleys and doing all this stuff. And like, I'm almost hyperventilating. I'm like, dude, what the hell's going on? He's like, he's like, they found out I had money. They wanted my money. And like, it was a sketchy place. Yeah, it sounds like it. So we, we, the guys are running after us. We cut down this one alley. We see a cab. We flag down the cab and get in the cab, get back to the Rio and everything's fine. And by no means am I saying Chris is sketchy, but he didn't have to leave, he didn't have to leave me in the strip club for almost an hour with no money at five in the morning. Right. I mean, at least you were in like South Africa or uh, Jamaica or something, man. It yeah. Could have been way worse. Ending. 
you're like, I'm in Vegas. What's going to happen? But it was, yeah, it was just funny. I'm like, you know, because <laughs> he told me when we went in there, I said, dude, I don't have any money. He's like, I'm going to give you some money. Don't worry. But then yeah. I guess he was talking to an owner or he, he, I don't know what he was doing, but he just kind of disappeared for a while. And like, then they found, I guess a bad guy or a bad girl found out he had money uh, and they wanted the money. And it's just, it's not the right place to be in the middle of the night in Vegas. It's a strip club. <laughs> See, but he's not like it was never like ill intentioned. He just like you know, space cadet was like started talking to somebody and forgot you were sitting there waiting for yeah. some money. And, I mean, and that, that's one thing I will say. Like I love Chris, and he's one of my good good friends. But he is a space cadet sometimes. Totally, totally. <laughs> but yeah, so that's my big strip club Vegas story. But that was the same night you and I met. But that was after you left. I wish I would have known, man. I would have come back out for four in the morning to see the shenanigans happen, man. That sounds like. <laughs> I could have been part of that story. I'll I'll also tell you that Chris Rowe is the luckiest guy I've ever met in my life because on that same trip, you get off the plane in Vegas and there's there's slot machines at the airport, right? Right. So which we, are the worst things you can do is play those slot machines? They're like the worst payouts well, in the, all Vegas. Chris won five hundred dollars when we got off the plane. Of course he did. Yeah, and then he won the fifteen hundred at this. I mean. I didn't win shit and I never win yeah. shit, but I've been with that guy before when he's won so much money. It makes you want to throw up, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. So, so you're, you're on this tour with the Ataris. That's kind of like being with Motley Crue, I guess, which changed much later when I got into the band, there was no Motley Crue stuff going on. No, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, he worked through all the Motley Crue people from what I can understand from hearing on your show, the, I've been in the Atari's t-shirt idea. Dude, I tell you <laughs> what, we, we have a T public store, a shout out to the listeners. If you want uh, that one time on tour t-shirt, go to our T public store, but I'm actually going to design that shirt that I talked about with Marco from sugar cult. It's going, so it's going to have our logo somewhere on it, but it's going to go. I used to be in the Atari's. <laughs> That's so, I mean, do you know, is there a number? Do you know how many people there are that used to be in the Atari's? On the Wikipedia page, there is close to 15 current and past members combined. That seems low. That seems like they're, they're missing a lot. I, th I think they are missing a lot. I mean, there's, you know, I was in the band for a few years and then, you know, Brian was in the band for almost 10 years. And so like my, my whole, you know, section of friends that were in the band, we were in there for a while, but then there were guys that did like one tour, guys that did two tours. <laughs> like right. I, There were I've a lot of people. I've seen them two times uh, in the last year in San Diego and it was not the same lineup. They definitely had, uh, they played a beer festival and I met the band and then they played Casbah like two months ago or three months ago. And I was like, Oh, is that the same guy that you were like making fun of for being in a commercial? Like, no, that guy is doing something else. He's a different <laughs> guy now. It's you basically, you get Chris when you get the Atari, you get Chris and then whoever is in the band at that point. Yeah. Well, I just, Chris has hit me up, but like, we still talk a lot. You know, we talk every once in a while about the show. I'm going to have him back on the show. And then we talk about him getting on the road and whatnot. And we talk about the old days and he's mentioned to me before, he's like, Hey, would you ever want to do a tour? And I'm like, yeah, it would be great. It's just hard for me now that I'm a dad. You know, hey. I, I'm, I have a job that I love. I teach guitar full time, but if I were to leave, if I did like a week or two tour, that'd be one thing. But you know, the Ataris normally go out for a month or two at a time. It would just, I want to do it. And I would love to go back out and play those songs again and be, be with the Ataris. But I just, it'd have to be the right situation, you know? Right, right, for sure. I would love to see you play again. If that happens, that's a show I would definitely travel to, man. That would be amazing. Well, I love the fact that you got to hang out and see my first show. There, there's had to be, I mean, a few thousand people at the Rio. That thing was insane. Yeah. The, well, the, the thing of that show was they had this company that would put on free shows and they were like alcohol sponsors. So 
Vegas scene was so bad you couldn't like have a paid show. Nobody would show up, so they basically figured out how to do these free shows. And they did the Rio and they did the Hard Rock, and it would be like a happy hour for like six to seven. And that the liquor sponsor would come in and give free booze, and it'd be a free concert. So I saw like I saw Unwritten Law, I saw Angels and Airwaves, I saw I saw a bunch of bands as part of this like series where they have free shows. It was like amazing. The, my my biggest memory of that whole thing was the fact that our dressing room was Prince's old dressing room when he did his like term at the Rio. He was there for a year or two. So oh, that's crazy. Yeah. We're downstairs at the Rio in our dressing room and his symbols painted on the wall and all the walls are purple. I have video of it. It's pretty awesome. I just love how well they treat the bands. They're like, yeah, come play the show. We're going to pay you a bunch of money. It's going to be free for the kids. And then after the show, come up to the club and we're going to like give you a couple of bottles for free. Like we didn't well, pay anything upstairs. Let, well, I know, but let me, let me change your, your thoughts on that because, <laughs> okay. So we, we got brought in by, it was a liquor sponsor company, whatever. And there was also a radio station and it was yeah. us and Carolina liar. Who was a band right. that, that had some, some, some success. They had a couple hit songs. They were good too. I liked them. Yeah, they were great. We actually used their drum kit and Brian ended up using their bass because something happened to his bass halfway through the show. But, the one thing was they took us up on the 52nd floor of the Rio to have that little party afterwards and meet people. They took us and they roped us off in our little VIP section. We felt like big rock yeah. stars. Okay. Well we had people hanging out with us, all the industry people that were there, not industry, like music industry, but like radio and whatnot were hanging out with us. And it was just like bottle after bottle of all this different alcohol and, and all this crazy stuff. And we had like food and all kinds of stuff at the end of the night when we were leaving, this guy comes up to me and he goes, do you want the bill? And I'm like, (laughs) I said, what are you talking about? I thought he was kidding. And he hands me a piece of paper and it was like (laughs) $4,500. And I I looked at him. I said, are you fucking crazy? And he goes, somebody's got to pay it. And I'm like, well, I'm not fucking paying it. And I just dropped the receipt and we bailed. I don't know who paid it. I mean, definitely not you. If you're getting like, you know, you didn't ask to go up there. You didn't like ask. We for didn't bottles. even want to go up there. It was like, oh, I guess, yeah. I guess we have nothing else to do. So we're going to go up there. And it, it was fun. I had a blast. Those pic- I had a blast. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I got a bunch of free drinks out of it. <laughs> well, the, the pictures that we have of each other, you know, with each other that night, the only reason we, you know, we're talking later before about not having a cell phone, not taking pictures those pictures exist because of all those like people in Vegas that take pictures and then post right. them. Yeah, that's right. I I, I remember one with like me like scratching Brian's gigantic beard on that show. I remember that yeah. for sure. <laughs> what year was that? That was two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Jeez, man, that yeah. was a long time ago. That was I gotta, yeah, almost I, eleven I years ago. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. But yeah, that Atari that Atari tour that I did. That was the only tour I did with them. It was. It seemed like it seemed to be a lot longer than like the six week tour that it was. But like. I mean, that was, that was definitely crazy, but most of my time I was out with yellow car. That was like, I worked with them for probably a year and a half total, either, yeah. like before and after the Ataris. It was super weird. Cause I went out with them and they weren't, they hadn't put their like, uh, ocean Avenue out yet. And that's why I already booked the Ataris tour. And then, um, after the Ataris tour, the, uh, yellow car had problems with their tour manager and they were like, Hey, do you want to come back and work for us again? I'm like, sure. And they were just starting to get huge. And that was like, that was, I think that was 2003. And that was probably like the funnest year ever just crazy shit was happening because they were like on this like huge upward trajectory where they were on mtv i mean i went with them to the mtv studios in times square and like you know we were meeting celebrities and all this crazy stuff was going on well 2000, was- 2003 was a big year that's when you know song astoria ocean avenue 
I mean, I, I posted a video on the Instagram for the for the podcast. It was this video that somebody had made that talked about all the records that came out in 2003. And when you think back, I mean, it's insane. You have to go back on our Instagram, see if you can find it. I can't remember all the Yeah, definitely, bands. I will. But I mean, it was just like, as far as pop punk and that whole underground scene goes, it was kind of like the second coming of the offspring and, and, and Green Day, you know? Right, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a huge time. In fact, actually, one of my stories from Yellow Card, I'll tell you one of my stories. So I was out with Yellow Card, and we were starting to do some headlining shows after, I think, after Warp Tour 03. And uh, we had, like, a rotating cast. The, the label or booking agent would, like, send us different bands to, like, open up on random, like, three or four shows. So there's, like, some band that we'd never heard of playing, you know, so, uh, opening up for us. And it was, like, the second night, and there was this, like, crappy little pop-punk pop band that I was like, this band's whatever. So we're in Omaha, Nebraska. Do you ever play the Ranch Bowl? I have, yes. So we're playing the Ranch Bowl. It's a it's a bowling alley, and then there's, like, a room on the side where there's a concert. So we play the concert, and the concert's over, and it's kind of early, and they're like, yeah, you can bowl for free, and we'll just, like, you know, give you pictures of beer. And we're like, sure. So it's all the bands hanging out, and... uh so yellow cards bowling. I end up like bowling next to one of these guys from one of the opening bands and we're chatting. He's like a nice guy. He plays bass for this band. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, what's your band up to? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, you know, we're doing this tour. We have a new record coming out. It's supposed to be pretty big. And I think I even joked to him that I thought his band sucked, like not in a mean way, just kind of like, yeah, you know, your band sucks. Maybe you'll get better on the next record or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, just we're joking around. We're having this like good conversation. So, um, we play, we play three shows with this band and uh yeah they're fallout boy and they go out to be like you know <laughs> mega huge but it was that it was that first record which i still think is like garbage what was that what was the fallout boy's first record take this to your grave was that the, what was the one that got big on that was from under the cork tree so it was the one the one before from under the cork tree then That's, i think it's take this to your grave actually yeah my first uh, band chronic chaos we played with them when they were promoting that i remember they opened up for us in indianapolis and i think that's so funny now that you know it's fallout boy but they open the same thing all american rejects uh and motion city soundtrack on the same show opened for my old band when they first had their records out what was your opinion of all those bands when they were opening up? Did you think they were like going to go? go I mean, I thought, I thought fallout boy had a really good drummer and I still think they do. Andy's a really good yeah. drummer. I wasn't super impressed, but it was also so many years ago. It's hard to think back, but I remember when they got big thinking, wow. I mean, but I mean, this is how I feel as well. I never thought blink was a good live band. Oh, they were the worst live band, but they were the most entertaining live well, band. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I always loved seeing Blink. And, you know, Fall Out Boy was kind of fun live, but I never thought they were... Since now, I mean, now I listen to them, maybe they're using tracks or whatever. They've gotten better. Yeah. But, I mean, I it's always hard for me to... If I don't listen to a band's record and really get what they're getting into, to see what I think of them. I mean, I remember... I remember thinking all American rejects were really good because their vocals were great. They, they did really well yeah. live with vocals, motion city soundtrack. It was kind of a big wall of noise, but the vocals were good. I always, if the band can pull off vocal harmonies live, normally that means to me that they're, they're pretty decent. Okay. See, I just, I just remember watching Fallout Boy, either listen to the record or watch them and be like, this band sucks. They're not going to go anywhere. And, you know, <laughs> whatever the other band that played on that show could have been them. Like, who knows? But I mean, the I'm thing like, that I feel about Fallout Boy, they've never been a band that I've set and gone, oh, this band's amazing. But I've met Pete. I've met Patrick. They're really nice guys. And I think yeah. I think they write really catchy pop songs. I mean, you can't deny the stuff that they write is very catchy. Oh, I think they're much better now. Let me be clear. I like that record with like dance dance. I think is a great song. Yeah. And, uh, like that, that whole record I think is really good. But like that first record, I was like, I don't know how they're getting any fans. It just sounds like generic pop punk. 
Well, like, from, from what I remember, the whole band was just kind of started as a side project anyway, because a lot of the other guys in that band were playing in like a metalcore band or something. And like, as far as Fallout Boy, it was just this thing they did, and then it just caught on and it took over all their other stuff they were doing. Right, right. That so, makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, speaking speaking of bands that I do like, I have a story about one of your other guests. Uh, so the Used. Okay. Uh, I was an early, early fan of the Used. Um, so I was out. I was working for Phoenix TX, and just the same thing with Yellow Card. They just like throw bands on the show, and so Phoenix TX had like three shows in SoCal, and we were heading up to uh, San Francisco to play a show. And on the way, we stopped at Hurley. Back in the day, you just stop by Hurley and we get a bunch of free gear. They give you T-shirts and bags and all this stuff. And they go, "Hey, this is new band we're, we're working with. It's playing with you guys tonight. You want you want to hear them?" And they played us box full of sharp objects. And I was like, whoa, this is not like anything that's being played right now. This is so different. And then we showed up to the show, and they weren't called the Use. They had changed their name temporarily to like Watch It Burn or something like that. They, they had like a name dispute. Yeah. And they played the show, and I was like, my jaw was on the floor from the first show. I'm like, oh my God. Like right away, I was like, you guys are going to be fucking huge. This is like so different than what's coming out right now. Everything's pop punk right now, and they're doing like a little, you know, harder edge. And me and uh, me and Jeff became really good friends on those three day tour. And he burned me a CD. He just he's like, we just got it back. Do you want me to burn you a copy? And I'm like, please do it. And I played it for all my friends, and they all thought it was terrible. <laughs> and then <laughs> I went out that summer on Warp Tour with Yellow Card, and I was like, I don't care what is happening. I'm watching the Used every day, unless we're playing at the same time. I'm watching the Used, and that was the summer where like they started out with like 20 people and by the end of the summer they like you know we're packing in the tiniest stage i know you talked about that in the show yeah i think and, the funny thing is is that's before you and i knew each other and i'm pretty sure i was on that tour as well that's crazy i'm sure we like cross paths here yeah. and there I, I probably looked at you and we're like oh that guy looks scary i'm not gonna talk to him he's gonna eat me alive <laughs> this guy with tattoos man <laughs> yeah i just remember when i speaking of that when i joined the ataris it was like oh who's this metal guy playing in the ataris like screw you man like who were you who were you out with on two on 2002 um i'm wanting to say it was either my first band chronic chaos or i was out with brazil the band that i used to play with as well yeah and then That's i also great. was out, out on that actually no 2002 i was out with uh the reason that band from canada but they used to be called sewing with nancy that was their old name so I wonder. I wonder if you guys in Yellow Card were playing the same stage. If we even like passed by each other, changing equipment or something. We were on the PunkNews.org stage, which is a pretty okay. small stage. I'm not sure yeah, what Yellow small. Card was on. I think we were on one of the like real stages. No offense. Uh, well, it's I, okay. Like, it's not like I haven't played every stage on that fucking tour, <laughs> right? Yeah, I have actually. I figured it out the other day. Every stage started starting with the Kevin Says stage back in like 2001 or whatever, all the way till the last time I was on it in 2009. I've played every stage from the baby stage all the way up to the main. It's pretty crazy. That's awesome. I think I can. I played. I played three stages. Like actually played. That was my thing. Is I was like, can I play a song with you guys? So I play. I play with the Ataris on the main stage once in San Diego. And I play with this band Sloppy Meat Eaters on like one of the Oh, I know the Sloppy Meat Eaters. My yeah. first band, Chronic Chaos, was going to do uh, a split with them at one point on Orange Peel Records, but it just fell through. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Small, yeah. I went out with them for like two weeks pre like getting paid. They're like, you want to come with us and just like pretend tour manage us on Warp Tour? And I went out with them. It must have been like 2001, maybe 2000. I went out with them for like two weeks and just kind of like for free tour manage them and help them like sell merch and do all that stuff. That's crazy, I before I like actually tour, they were super nice guys though. They used to play shows for me when I was a promoter and we just kind of got along. I don't know how. 
That was Josh, right? The singer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was super cool, man. That guy's awesome. Yeah, it's been so long since I've even heard the, heard the name of that band, but I used to love those guys, man. Well, bringing it back, when you're Matt, you had Matt Pinfield on the show. He had that show Farm Club out in L.A., and Sloppy Meat Eaters gamed the uh, online voting process to get on the show, and they came to Farm Club, which is in L.A., and I was living in San Diego. They're like, do you want to come up? And So I came up with them, and I got to go backstage at Farm Club and watch them perform, and like I can't remember who was the guest. It was like, what's it been? This is the story of a girl. You remember that song? Yeah, but I can't remember for the life of me what the name of the band is. So that that song was huge, and I remember we were in the elevator going down or going back up from the show, and this guy, he had like a pass, and we're like, oh, what band are you in? He's like, oh, I'm in this band, blah, blah, blah. And I just started fucking with him. I was like, I was like, you're not in that band. You're a liar. He's like, no, no, I'm the drummer. I'm like, well, sing the song. How does the song go? And I made him sing me the entire like verse <laughs> of that song to prove. He was like, he was drunk, and I was just messing with him. I was like, nah, just kidding. We know you're in the band. Like, that's that's the best. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, Rob, I tell you what, man, uh, I like to keep these things about an hour. I could talk to you all yep. night. I'll probably have you back for a part two, but uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Can you uh, tell us where people can check out your exploits as far as online, like where you're posting pictures and stuff of your travels? Yeah, I feel like these days it's all about Instagram. So I just changed my Instagram name on the on the first of this year to make it easier. It's don't call Rob. Super easy. Don't call uh, Rob. Okay. Don't call Rob. I hate I hate the phone. This is actually you're the one person I think I've talked to on the phone this year. I'm always like text messaging or you know Facebook chat or Instagram chat. Like before this I, podcast, I, man, I never talked on the phone, and now I do. Right it. now, I do it all the time. It's kind of cool though. It's kind of a, it's nice. It's a nice throwback. You know, yeah. actually have a conversation. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a play on that. My business card says "Don't call me" on my business card. You know, just kind of a play on that. But uh, yeah, don't call Rob is my Instagram name. That's probably the best way. Always posting pictures of food, and I'm I'm coffee obsessed. I love coffee, so you'll see a lot of pictures of coffee on there from around the world. Do you have any uh, future plans, like trips you're coming up on, places you're going to go? Well, I'm actually moving to Austin, Texas uh, next month. It's time for a change of pace. I kind of want to, I, you know, honestly, I, I miss the music industry. I haven't been doing anything. I mean, I, I transitioned from music into, into TV, and I really miss the music industry. So I really want to be in more of a music-centric town. And so I'm going to go to Austin, and I really want to try to, like, knock on some doors and be like, hey, you know, I, I was in the industry. Can I do something? Can I stage tech or, you know, maybe learn sound, do something? Uh, so I'm trying to, like... I'm trying to use you as inspiration and maybe start like a podcast too. Um, I want to do a video podcast with like where I interview bands and kind of get a little bit into like, you know, rather than some fluff questions, kind of like talk about their lives. Um, so I've had this idea for like four or five years. I'm just, I'm really lazy. And it's like, I don't want to actually do it. You well, know, I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I thought about this podcast for a year before I actually did my first episode. So I, I well, you actually did it. So congratulations, man. You like, you actually made it happen. Well, the, the pace is crazy camera. too. Like the pace is insane. I have like 13 interviews on my hard drive right now that I still have to edit. I've been doing an episode every week. This past week I took a week off cause I was a little bit under the weather, but the pace is going to slow. I want to hit that year mark, which will be in April. And then I'm going to maybe do one every other, or I might just keep doing it every week. It all depends. Does it, does it get exhausting? Like it, I, it I gets mean, I exhausting that, for me yeah. because the only time that I have to edit or do anything like my wife on Sundays and Tuesdays, I don't work. So she'll give me some time. Hey, go, go do your interview. So that's why I schedule it when I, when I do, but when I do all my editing, my intro, my outro, everything else that has anything to do with the podcast, I do it until like three or four in the morning after my kids go to sleep. Right, right. And then I work, you know, all week teaching guitar every day. And then I've got all this other stuff. And it's it's pretty exhausting trying to do one every week. But I feel like 
people are so used to it now and I actually have some steam going and people like the show that if I take a week or two off, I don't want to lose that momentum, you know? Well, I mean, I told you, I told you on Facebook, I was like ribbing you, but like y- you put too much content. Like I'm two episodes behind, man. It's like an hour every week to to do is like <laughs> a lot for us to consume. I mean, I love it. I've listened to almost every episode, I think since like I found out about it, maybe all your episodes, but I'm like, I'm always two episodes behind. It's crazy though, because like, I understand what you're saying, but then the week that I won't put one out, like when my daughter, yeah. was, when my daughter had her surgery or like I've, there's been one other week when I was kind of sick and I didn't want to, I just couldn't do it because I was under the weather and I have right. like, you know, 20 emails from people like, where's the new episode? So I, right, it, right. you're it, always going to have that. Yeah. And I mean, I just, when I started this, I didn't really know if anybody would give a shit. I just kind of yeah. wanted to do it because I used to work in radio when I was right, right in college. And I really enjoyed that. And I listen to podcasts all the time. So how hard could it be? But after I put out three or four episodes, all of a sudden my numbers took off and I'm getting sponsors and like people are emailing me and it kind of became this thing to now I have this anxiety to where if I take time off, I don't want to lose all my people that like the show. Right. It's like, please, please like me, please like me. I give you huge props, man. I mean, like this is like, like you explained, it's the perfect way to like stay involved in the music industry without actually being involved. And like, that's so great. You can't tour. You have a family. I'm so jealous that you are doing the show. Like I wish I was doing the show and I've told you I have ideas to do something not the same, but like, you know, on the same vein of having, you know, guests talking about stuff. So props to you, man, for keeping it going and like, don't feel bad. If you want to do it every other week, do it every other week. People will adjust. Well, I tell you what, man, I want to have you back definitely for a part two and maybe, uh, get somebody that you think would be good for the show. And maybe we could do like a three-way Skype and you could be my co-host. Ooh, that'd be fun. That'd be great, right? Maybe it'd get you off, it'd get you off your ass and make you want to do something, right? <laughs> right. I think I think it'd be fun to have like a yellow card or one of the bands I tour with because like I I yellow card I really haven't talked to too much and then the format I com- lost complete contact with them. Well, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. But yeah, man, I'll definitely have you back because I know there's way more stories. We had we didn't even we didn't even scratch the surface on the stuff we did in Europe. We got to talk about that too, you know. I know. By the way, I was just I was I was browsing through the pictures and I forgot that we did karaoke. That was like oh, the, yeah. that was right there. Do you remember? Do you remember, dude? Tools. Do you remember the song we did? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We did uh, "Hunger Strike" by by Temple of the Dog. You know what I'm going to do? I always play music after these episodes, and normally if I yeah. have, if I have someone that's not really in music, I don't really know what to play. But I'm going to play "Hunger Strike." Dude, so good. Yeah, we. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we were just drinking, but we—I feel like we crushed it. Like we I don't crushed even it. We crushed it. Part, but it was amazing. And I have a picture from that where I'm singing, and then like I'm strained to hit the high note. But yeah, we crushed it. I just remember there's a picture of you actually literally couch surfing at that karaoke bar. Yep, I have that one right here too. <laughs> Do you remember the guy's name? That uh, the karaoke guy was Boris. Yes. In fact, I I, I went back to Paris or uh, went back to Prague uh, last summer and. I was leaving town. There was a couch serving event. I'm like, you know, I'm going to stop by because I've been to a couple of events there. Let me see who's there. And I ran to Boris and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what are you doing here? And we talked for a little bit. He looks, he looks great, man. That guy's like still involved doing, doing events. He's still got his karaoke. He moved to a different place. It was so funny. Like, catching up after like 10 years almost. Yeah, totally, man. Well, Hey man, I'm going to let you get out of here. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I will definitely have you back for a part two, Rob. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, I miss you, dude. We got to get together. Yeah, I'm going to make a trip out to Indiana one of these days and like 
come see a show and make drag your ass up there from Muncie. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I will talk to you later. Have a great time in Mexico and uh, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you, sir. Love you, man. Love you too, man. Bye. All right, bye. So there it was, my conversation with my good buddy, Mr. Rob Perlman. I'm sure we're going to have Rob back in the future because there's, there's a lot more stories that we need to tell. So uh, I'd like to thank Rob for coming on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, next week, I'm super stoked because one of my favorite singer-songwriters is going to come on the show. His name is Slade Cleves. He is originally from Maine, and now he lives in Austin, Texas, and he's just it's so good, man. His his songs are just so heartfelt, and, and he's, he's a great storyteller. If you guys have not checked out Slade, make sure to go on YouTube or Spotify or wherever and check him out, and then you'll get ready for next week's episode. So check out Slade Cleaves. It's S-L-A-I-D-C-L-E-A-V-E-S. So that's going to do it for this week. Make sure to you know be following us, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you listen to podcasts, all that jazz you hear me say every week. Make sure to listen and subscribe over at jabberjawmedia.com. You can also check out tototpodcast.com for all of your that one time on tour needs. But that's going to do it for me. I'm going to get out of here. Rob and I were joking uh, during our conversation about when we did karaoke in Prague. We did Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog. So I'm going to play that and uh, hopefully I don't get in trouble. It's a, it was a pretty big song, so please don't sue me, anybody out there. But uh, I'm going to leave you guys with Hunger Strike. This is our go-to song on karaoke. It's a nice duet. So I will see you guys next week with Slade. And in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm still taking top five lists and I'm still taking questions for the year-end special episode, the Ask Chris episode. So you can uh, email, call the hotline, 765-372-8818 whatever you want to do and um, I'll see you guys next week thank you so much well, I don't mind stealing bread from the mouths of Cups already
Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. We want to tell you about our podcast, None But the Brave, which is dedicated to taking a deep dive into the work of Bruce Springsteen. We're currently in our fifth season. Our latest episodes focus heavily on Bruce's 2024 tour and have featured such guests as Anthony Castrovince from MLB Network and Barstool's Kirk Minahan. We're also covering the 40th anniversary of Bruce's biggest record, Born in the USA. And as part of that, coming up this week, Uproxx cultural critic Stephen Hyden returns to the show for a fascinating hour-long conversation about his new book, There Was Nothing You Could Do, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA and the End of the Heartland. To listen, you can go to our website, mbtbpodcast.com, or subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform. We hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!